Nathan. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, well, all fair, fair, and everything. Like you guys won again. We did. We did. Yeah. And, and not taking anything away, but you know, we kind of some things were said in the lead up, and that's what I just want to know before we start. You're not going to rub this in too much, like when we start recording, right? No, no, no. Everyone, it's, it's it's done. It's been a few days now. We're just gonna we we'll just get the review done and then just leave it. I think I think that's fair. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, welcome back to Rogue Opinions, everyone. My name, as always, is Nathan, and I'm here with a giant loser. Oh fuck <laughs> off. the green light because I'm ready to go so have a good time man Wrestlemania missed Pitbull this year hey everyone welcome back to Rogue Opinions my name as always is Nathan and with me it's just the two of us we can make it if we try it's Scott McLeod my nemesis and a loser (laughs) yeah I mean nothing about Wrestlemania is going to plan really for anybody I mean they did it in front of an empty arena over two nights when they weren't meant to. You know, I wanted to have Paul here. We wanted to have Jimmy here, and it's just us. And it's up off. I fucking and we fucking lost. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like the podcast is also in isolation. Uh, I mean, my dog's just behind me, so if he starts barking, we've got a third person. So <laughs> that that'll do. Uh, but yeah, we're here with WrestleMania. It was supposed to be from Tampa, but instead it was from Orlando at the PC, spread over two nights. So this podcast will be spread over two episodes uh, to stick to the theme. You've got to stay on brand. That's very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're just going to run it down and give give our give our two cents. Uh, Scott, did you watch the kickoff show? Because I did not. Uh, yeah, I watched the kickoff. I thought, why not? I wanted to see. Yeah, how they did it. They did it kind of how I expected they would, in kind of uh, in the kind of a studio with a not at all obvious giant green screen behind Peter Rosenberg and <laughs> and Corey Graves. It was a decent enough one. Like they threw a the backstage team, like Renee and Booker for like certain matches, and uh, they played in full Miz and Morrison's uh, rap video, <laughs> which might be the greatest thing ever made. <laughs> The uh, the match that they put with Cesaro and and uh, Drew Gulak, me and Jimmy were talking about it. Like on certain indie shows, this would be like a main event or like one of the top tier matches, like second to the main event. But Dory just thinks these two probably deserve this is about as much as these two deserve at WrestleMania. Just put them out on the pre-show for a match that went really short. And Cesaro won with this weird airplane kind of spin thing that was I believe used to call the UFO. The thing is, he's not used it in ages, and I don't think it was ever a finisher. So the fact that he won with it, it was just like, oh, well, that's done then. Yeah, maybe that's what they see. Well, I guess they gave Gulak a big win over Nakamura mm-hmm. on, on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know. All yeah. the matches kind of seemed a lot shorter than I would have thought. Because I thought, oh, they're putting it over two nights, so everything's going to get time. 
Mm-hmm. But like a lot of the matches, it's quite rare for any of them to really to kind of break ten minutes. Like certainly, hardly any of them broke fifteen, if any. No, like, I mean, it was quite short. Yeah, it wasn't a bad match to be fair though. This it was just like I said, very short, and then the finish kind of came out of nowhere. Oh well, that was the that was the kickoff show in its entirety. Was it only an hour? Yeah, just kind of flew by because I was on Twitter and messaging people, so like wasn't really like I had to pay attention that much. Well, and then over to the main show, Stephanie McMahon of all people welcomed us to WrestleMania. There was a nice little montage of America the Beautiful, just kind of how it's been performed over over all the manias, which I thought was I thought that was quite inventive. Yeah, it was bizarre. Like I can see what they were going for because. I rarely ever think of it when they do that, because more than that, I forget that they do the whole America the Beautiful thing until the start of every WrestleMania, where they say, here, you're saying the song, like, oh yeah, they do this. But just watching it back over to all the different teams, it just made me think, hey, remember the times where there were people in the building? Those were good times. <laughs> you remember these better WrestleManias? Weren't they great? <laughs> now watch this one. Now watch a video package with all the pirate stuff that went on for about two days. I know, like, what even... Because, I mean, like, as soon as they, they said they weren't doing it in Raymond James Stadium, which has a pirate ship, and was the whole reason for the pirate thing in the first place, as soon as they got rid of that, like, all this pirate stuff lost meaning. And then, to top it off, they then started... The video package then starts taking the piss out of itself. Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny. Like they got someone to do a knockoff Jack Sparrow mm-hmm. impression, which they even referenced at one point. The guy and it's like, okay, so it was just all a bit weird. You could just tell that like Kevin Dunn or whoever's in charge of the graphics and everything just had these all prepared, had a mental breakdown when it got cancelled because he'd worked hours and hours and hours on these things and just begged Vince McMahon to let them use his pirate graphics. I mean. It was, it was okay, but like I said, it was funny, but... Oh. Hello? Hello, oh, sorry, sorry, I thought someone was on there because I went quite quiet on you. Oh, okay. Uh, you mentioned wait. Kevin Dunn, and I, you mentioned Kevin Dunn, and I didn't hear anything. Oh, I just said that, like, Kevin Dunn probably just had to beg Vince McMahon to let him use all the graphics he prepared. Because <laughs> you're right, and it didn't make sense, it went up for ages. But moving on from the video package... Uh, to Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> uh, we, we're the wrong people. We kind of wish Jimmy was here. Well, we always <laughs> wish Jimmy was here. Uh, but he would probably be able to tell us a bit more about how popular Gronk is. Uh, I'm guessing he's super popular. And he must have a lot of stroke because it got Mojo Rawley kind of a starring role at WrestleMania. <laughs> so, which is weird. And should we just get into the opening match? Yeah, because not much else to say. Like Gronk was there, and like it was kind of sad. You know what I mean? They try to make it like do it up the stage and other, and like they had the lasers. But to me, I was in there like, God, I wish there was Pyro in. Yeah, it kind of looked like um, if you've ever been to a nightclub, but before kind of the bulk of the people arrive. Mm-hmm. Like you get there when it first opens at like seven thirty p.m. 
and there's just all the lights going, the DJ's getting started, but there's no people on the dance floor. You're like, oh, this is a cesspool. And with WrestleMania, you don't expect a lot of the big returns that you, you might usually get, but me and Jimmy talked about it uh, on our, our group chat, that uh, the return that we didn't expect, and I was actually happy to see uh, the return of JBL on commentary, <laughs> and he wasn't entirely awful. He wasn't terrible. Like his microphone cut out a few times and like mm-hmm. went really quiet at points, which is weird. But otherwise, the opening match, the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship, the Kabuki Warriors, Asuka and Kyrie Sane, who was dressed as a pirate, which made it all even sadder, mm-hmm. uh, taking on Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Scott, what did you make of the opener? Uh, first off, I think it kind of sums up the whole thing with the Kabuki Warriors as this photo I saw the other day. It was Asuka and Kairi Sane making their entrance. I can't remember which show it's from, but Kairi's looking a bit sadder than Asuka's. It's, the caption is, uh, when your friend tried to keep you upbeat, but you were promised a pirate ship. <laughs> yeah, that was, it did suck. That's all everybody wanted. Like That was the biggest thing about WrestleMania was everyone like, please let Kairi Sane swing off the pirate ship or whatever. And little did we know that was the least of our problems with I mean, WrestleMania. <laughs> the fair, she did get that. Even if it was if it wasn't over two nights, it was the one night that it was meant to be. Kyrie and Asuka probably would have been on the kickoff, and they don't usually give big entrances the kickoff. So, like, they probably you know they did get the big entrance. It probably wouldn't have mattered in the long run for what they did. I mean, because they probably the outcome would probably be the same as it was here in their match against Split and Cross. You said you didn't think that any of the matches kind of broke 15 minutes. I looked up the times last night. This did crack 15 minutes, but it felt a lot longer because it nah. it wasn't it wasn't spectacular. Like, and I like the fact that Michael Cole was clearly being like produced less mm-hmm. for these shows because I love the bit where Nikki Cross is it she rips off uh, a like jacket thing, just does a little scream, and then Michael Cole just goes each to their own. that's really funny and uh yeah yeah, this it wasn't amazing i like the kabuki warriors shtick when they do lots of like hand gestures and stomping around and kind of mocking their opponents and stuff like that uh yeah i mean i've been watching a lot of like wrestling related content and they're like podcasts or youtube videos because obviously that's what people do when lead up to media but like and I've been seeing a lot of stuff about people talking about some of the best like opening matches at WrestleMania, and this was not one of those because like I can I think I get why they wanted this to open, but and I don't want to harken on as oh but if there's been a crowd there than this because or some instances where they actually did the best they could without the crowd, but I think a match like this, which felt like such a TV match, it really needed a crowd because. It just went on too long. The uh, Kabuki Warriors again yelling in Japanese, which is not doesn't really do much for me, as I said in a previous podcast. And there are times where it looked like they were doing spots where that were usually used on both teams. They're used in spots like hype up the crowd, like uh, you had Nikki think bang on the barricade. You had Asuka looking towards where the fans would be shouting in Japanese, like, "Why are you doing crowd like taunt spots in an empty building?" Yeah, the, the whole of this WrestleMania just seemed like it was very tongue-in-cheek at times. Like, they were kind of... It's like the Steve Austin thing the other week on 316 Day, where he did the Give Me a Hell Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of that on this show as well. Like, they didn't pan to the empty seats like they did on Raw, but there was just a lot of the guys and girls, as you say, were just trying to... They were doing spots designed to get the live audience more engaged. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just when everyone talks about the quote-unquote WWE style. But, like, some of the matches, they didn't do that. Like, the ladder match coming up later, I don't think anyone did anything like that. <laughs> but, no. uh, but, yeah, this wasn't spectacular, uh, but Bliss and Cross get the win uh, after Bliss hits a twisted Bliss on the top right to pin Kyrie. Uh, do you think that's the right decision? I think so. Uh, as I say, I didn't really like this match. You know, it's just uh, like your standard tag match. It wasn't really that much spectacular about it. I mean, I did like the, some of the spots towards the end where I feel like, okay, now something interesting is happening. Like when you had Kyrie doing the elbow break up the pin and then Alexa did a similar thing with the twisted Bliss. So, like, that stuff was good, but I don't think it was enough really to save it for me. But in terms of, like, the decision, I think, given how long the Kabir Wars have held the belts, I mean, did some okay stuff with the belts, like they may have ended up here as champions. Asuka had that feud with Becky and that, but, again, Asuka then went on to get squashed by Shayna. But they've held on for a decent amount of time, considering how new these belts are. So it felt, always felt like they were going to hold them until Mania. I think it's kind of an indictment on what they've done with the women's tie team scene that by the time Mia rolled around, the only people they had them to lose them to were the people they won them from in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So I'm kind of hoping they do a bit more, maybe get Asuka and Kyrie up, like away from the tag teams for a bit and get them, try and build them up so that they can be a credible opponent. Because uh, we'll get to the what's kind of left of the Raw's women's division for the champion at the minute. So mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully they can kind of move on and we can get the I-Iconics back or an actual tag team. That would be nice, <laughs> wherever, wherever they are. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was fine, but nothing great. On to match two, Elias v. King Corbin. Elias won. I've got nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... He hit him with a guitar before the match started. Elias, Corbin thought Elias was dead because he tried to murder him on SmackDown. <laughs> you see, like a lot of people thought that it was kind of diverting us and that uh, Corbin was going to get a new opponent. But the more, he, he did a bit on the pre-show where he, he had a kind of a harmonica and he was singing a song about Elias. And, and then Ozzy came out and basically demanded the forfeit victory. And the more he went on about it, the more you realise Elias is coming out. Like, they wouldn't talk this much and then just not have Elias appear or have Corbin wrestle. But I was in, I was behind Elias more so than I ever have been whenever I've watched him because, well, this was the first match in our predictions that we differed on. You guys had Corbin, we had Elias. And I don't yeah. know why, on how Paul convinced me we should go with Elias. And I went, yeah, fine. And what well, kind of paid off. And because also the injuries of, like, Elias, he came at cell and he was moving it peacefully because he got mefacid, as I'll call it, off the ledge a couple weeks ago. And yeah. he, uh, I thought it should have been just like a quick, like, brawl and not gone as long. Because then after a while, it just, it just developed into a standard match with Corbin didn't use, like, his usual moves, like the sliding at the ring and then coming back and hitting the clothesline. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was just kind of your standard Corbin match. I don't have as much a problem with King Corbin as a lot of people do, because I do 
I do quite like his matches, but without a crowd, uh, mm-hmm. this was just uh, yeah, it wasn't did... spectacular. Like Corbin's actually fairly decent from what I can tell about in ring in ring stuff, and Elias is more of a gimmick than a wrestler per se, probably. But I do like Elias, but I prefer Elias when he's singing songs <laughs> than <laughs> wrestling. I mean, with Corbin is like. As I said, but they could work doing the weird like crowd taunting spots, despite the fact there was no crowd. I think with Corbin, he is such a good heel that part of his like appeal was the fact that how hated he is and how much people boo him. And yeah. like I said, it's weird when there's no one there to boo him. It is like like the typical like Michael Cole response to Elias' victory because Corbin had been caught using the ropes, and then Elias pinned him by using the tights, and Michael Cole doing the typical like announcer thing like. Oh, the baby face cheated, but the heel did it first, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, this is, it is a little bit weird. I like the fact, I can imagine Baron Corbin being that kind of dick if he ever got into like a bar fight who just doesn't shut up during it because he's <laughs> genuinely huge and a boxer. Mm-hmm. So I kind of bought that because he was always looking at Elias. It wasn't like the Asuka Kairi thing where they were looking at an empty seat and then doing their shouting uh, Corbin was actually looking at Elias and saying stuff, and so was Elias. He was giving it back as well. There was a lot of smack talk. Yeah, and uh, I kind of struggled with it when Corbin looked over at the commentary desk and yelled at them, "You better be over there telling people how great I am." That was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> and JBL was just like, "I'm a fan." Speaking of commentary, I don't know if you noticed this because it took me uh, until about midway through night one to notice this. I noticed whenever they did replays, I could kind of hear something like like, like quiet voices during the replays, and I thought, what is that? Because there's nobody in the building, and I realised, because it's so quiet, whenever they like, show a replay, you can you can hear the commentary from that spot. Oh, yeah. That's so, like, weird. Yeah. I didn't notice that, but that is strange. I think it was like the Universal Tale match where I finally noticed it, because like, they show a replay, and you can just faintly hear Michael Hull going, another power slam! <laughs> uh, but yeah Elias one well, good stuff uh, Eli- good to get Elias back on track he hasn't actually done a lot recently because he's had a couple of injuries like back to back so hopefully he goes on to do something else now let's get into an actual match with more consequences not just for our predictions but a strange event <laughs> the Raw Women's Championship match the champion Becky Lynch uh, taking on Shayna Baszler and uh, we can talk about the match in a second but let's just get straight to the result Becky won and cleanly yeah Uh, to me instantly I was like that was weird (laughs) like I don't really I don't really get it unless they're trying to make Shayna more because I know it was kind of like a mistake it was the Bret Hart Roddy Piper finish uh, with the Kirafuda clutch and then Becky kind of rolling backwards and managing to pin Shayna. So it was like a kind of fluky win, I guess, but it was still clean as a whistle. So yeah. which, I just didn't expect it. Now, what, what did you think? Is it, what was your initial reaction as soon as you saw Becky win? Uh, I think my initial reaction was something like, what? Something like that. Because uh, you talk about like short things. You try and predict the outcome of a wrestling show. There are certain matches that I think a lot of people who are 
going into it thought were sure things and this was one of them because everybody thought she you know was going to win and the thing about the spot is uh, like we've done that spot before not just like with Bret Hart and doing other but Shane has lost to that spot a couple of times in NXT and some big matches so it's one of those things where like it kind of makes Shane look stupid for not learning from her previous mistakes and not learning how to like counter because like she's meant to be they put her over as this as she's vicious but also kind of intelligent being the cage fighter and all that and then they make her kind of look foolish because they make Becky look lucky to have beaten her and it kind of pissed me off because like I think they showed on Raw a post-match interview where basically they were like a day shy of a year for Becky being the Robin champion so maybe it was just a case of like Gagey they like the idea of having the face be the champion for a full-on year before dropping it. But at the same time, like you beat Shayna, who in the process of getting to Becky, destroyed every woman they have on Raw other than Charlotte. And Charlotte's definitely not going to be challenging for that title anytime soon, as we'll talk about it in night two. But who's left for Becky? Because you could just do another Shayna rematch but are people going to be as invested for the rematch because of what happened here? I guess the only person that initially jumps out, and uh, again, this is a night two thing, but it's kind of apparent that maybe Bianca Belair is moving over to Raw, and she's got to kind of be, I guess, a floating member of the Street Profits. You see, that would be interesting, but then again... Bianca Belair probably isn't going to win the title right off the bat because cause I assumed she was going to win the NXT title or maybe challenge the winner of Rhea v. Charlotte at some point. But obviously if she's yeah. going to draw, that's probably not going to happen. But like, they didn't put the NXT title on her and even though they had quite a few opportunities to do so. But so I don't think they would put the Raw title on her so soon. So I think she's out. I think the Iconics you forget which brand they are, they're on because they're really on TV, but they're on Raw. But none of, neither of them are going to be challenged for Becky anytime soon. I guess Nia Jax has just returned, so you've instantly you've got that ready ready made because of the, the initial story from Survivor Series a uh, year before last, where mm. it was her that took out Becky with the wayward punch. So. I guess that's probably going to be the route they end up going down because the story's ready-made. But would it feel a bit... This is no disrespect to Nia Jax, who I do enjoy, but would it feel a bit flat if Nia Jax was the one to end Becky's reign after she beats Shayna Baszler? I think if they tried to play on the whole the history that they had with like the punches you talked about it, they could find a way to make it believable. I just don't think anybody would people would be that happy with it after the Shayna thing. Because I was all for because I heard the rumours of Nia being gone and like, and the fact that she was coming back, sorry, but and I thought if she came back and she challenged like Shayna, that would have been decent. But I don't want to see that match with that and that ends up being Nia as a champion and Shayna as a challenger. It should definitely be the other way around if it was going to happen. Because you remember uh, Nia did defend that belt against Ronda a few months into Ronda's run. Yeah, yeah, and that actually ended up being a pretty good match uh, in mm. the in the end. 
way better than everyone thought it was going to be. I mean, I like Becky still. I still still think Becky is awesome. She's one of the biggest stars the company has, and everyone loves her. So it's just that thing of, well, where do they go? And I mean, they can tell some good stories. You could have Shayna be bottom of the pecking order because she lost clean and then have to tear through everyone again. Uh, like, you can always rebuild her because it's Shayna Baszler. Uh, you could, I guess you could build up Asuka again. That's pretty easy to do. They could have done Kyrie Sane, who is someone who has beaten Shayna Baszler, but they gave that match away on Raw a few weeks ago as well. Yeah. Or a I, while ago, I don't remember when now. But and but you could still do it because Kyrie is someone who they could play on the fact has beaten Shayna Baszler. So right. it's kind of believable. The thing with the thing about you said how we're going to go back to the bottom of the pecking order and then work our way up, I, I'd enjoy that possibly because. I don't believe anybody with the right booking is beyond like saving character wise, but the fact that you brought her in, had her tear through everybody initially to get to Becky and then fall at the final hurdle, I don't know if her going back down and then to go through the same people she's already destroyed is going to have the same effect. Because then she beats all of them, then finally gets the belt. All those same people have been beaten by Shana twice already, so if any of them then go up to challenge Shana instantly your believability in either any of them defeating her for the belt goes way down. Yeah, I guess it's the same as the Brock Lesnar situation. Not not anymore, as we'll get to in, in night two. But there was that thing of who's believable to actually beat Brock, and it still is there. Like, who, mm-hmm. if Brock was to face, say, like, Apollo Crews, it's not going to be believable if Apollo Crews suddenly gets a win, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like when WCW tried to get Billy Kidman over for some <laughs> bizarre reason, and um, like so, you're always going to have that problem with someone like a Shayna, and I guess with a Becky as well because she has just beaten her. But they've got a lot of numbers in the Raw Women's Division, but everyone else just seems to be on a level that's like three pegs below Becky, Shayna, Asuka, and I guess Kyrie as well. And Charlotte, you've got those lot over on the Raw side. And then it's like quite a huge gap, it feels like, until you get to anybody else. Like, right. so you got, who you got? you got Dana... Um, no, Dana Brooks on SmackDown. Um, <laughs> can't even think of anyone. Throw a name out. Who's on Raw? Natalia. Natalia. Yeah, I guess Natalia's the exception because she's got tenure. But she still is a few steps below in story. In, in wrestling-wise, she's... She's not, but I'm talking about like kayfabe. Um, she's a step below as well, and like it just see Ruby Riot as well, amazing wrestler, but she doesn't feel legitimate. Liv Morgan, God knows what's happened there. Like I mean, the thing with uh, Ruby Riot is Ruby got squashed by Ronda when she first went for the belt, and then. Um, got killed by Shayna, so again, like, I get what you're saying. The thing with Naya, I don't know if you've seen this, a few weeks back, some people kind of kicked off at Naya for, like, because I think she was waiting quite a few weeks when she was ready to come back to be brought back, and you kind of tried to trigger people by saying, maybe I should start my own, like, four-horse woman faction or something like that. <laughs> kind of trying to imply basically everything, uh, the, all the attention in the women's division goes around the four-horse women, but when you think about it, She's not that far off, to be fair. I mean, 
you look at the three main women, three of the main women's matches on the show, like, aside from like the tag title match, the three main women's matches, you had Charlotte challenging for a title, you had Bailey defending the title, and a multiple match that also included Sasha, and you had Becky going in as a champion for nearly a year. And the thing is, a lot of the women's titles seem to revolve around the four horsewomen, and a certain combinations of them fighting each other, I think, like Charlotte v Becky, until it gets boring, and then everybody else is kind of a bit below. So when Becky goes from like fighting Charlotte for ages and Ronda Rousey, and then goes to fight Natalia or Lacey Evans, instantly a lot of people see that as beneath Becky because the four horsewomen have been kind of positioned so high above everybody else which is why stuff like this is kind of frustrating. Yeah, you're not... Yeah, you're kind of bang on, and I think it's something that they lost a long time ago, because when we go back to the great uh, Attitude Era, like you had Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, uh, Foley, like you would have the tippy-top people, but then everybody else who was like below them they were still kind of in a way everyone was believable because everyone was kind of treated seriously to to most of the time so seeing a main event of like D'Lo Brown against The Rock like it didn't actually seem a million miles away at times for D'Lo to win that mm-hmm. and I think that's something they've kind of lost like yeah. definitely definitely in the raw women's side i think like some of the other divisions are quite healthy like and it, but it doesn't seem to be a problem they've got in nxt yeah that's like, a... you can have you can have tyler breeze uh beat austin theory as they did a couple of weeks ago and things like that or you can you can have like i don't know you could have adam cole just randomly kind of lose a match on nxt to someone because it was building someone up and adam cole doesn't lose legitimacy doing that but when you come to the main rosters like it just you're right there's just no believability in some of the challenges after the horse for horsewomen yeah and the thing with NXT is fair dues to like Charlotte, Becky, uh, the four horsewomen all got started like the one traveling soon and all that and NXT but you gotta think when it wasn't just them at the time and also even since they've left when you think about it, a lot of people are talking about NXT Women's Division is the best today. And in some respects, I think there are aspects of the Women's Division NXT that are better now than when the Four Horsemen were around. Because, like, you look at Shayna, again, it's another reason why it's so frustrating that she lost and that she's a two-time Women's Champion. She's, like, held it for ages. And, yes, yeah, she beat a lot of different people, but everybody that she took on at, at some point or another felt believable, like Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, even Mia Yim to some extent, not as much as the others, but everybody seemed to be a threat to Shayna in some way. Like, they did the thing with Carrie Sane, where they put her up to Shayna's level by having her beat, win the belt, and then, yes, yeah, she did lose the belt back, but they had this feud, and they played off that they'd beaten each other a couple of times before, so they didn't make Kyrie look bad by losing a Shayna, because they had Shayna bring in the other horsewoman to help her get the belt back. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's just, it, it is frustrating to see. I think it's kind of been a problem that's been there for a while. And I think it initially begun f- for me as much of like, 
uh, as much as I like like Lacey Evans' character, but when you had her just thrown straight at to Becky at Becky Lynch last year after Mania, mm. you were kind of like, oh dear, there's there's no real depth here. Like Lacey hasn't done a lot in the ring. She's done a lot of character work and done a lot of walking out and waving at people. <laughs> but and and they did try hard. Like they had that brawl. They had those brawls on the ramp. They had Lacey knocking Becky down with, with her punch and everything like that. But there was still a huge believability issue. And they never really fixed that. Mm-hmm. And now they had an opportunity to kind of not bring Becky down a bit, but watch her at a weak point. And then you could easily... I know there's no rematch clause in storyline anymore, but you can easily have like get Becky another opportunity at Shayna and continue that rivalry on. But now that Becky's won, you it's kind of like, where do they go? What do they do? And yeah. there's no one that jumps out outside of, um, outside of putting Bianca Belair and giving her a few wins on TV or outside of Shayna ripping some people apart to get another match. Or maybe Asuka's had a one-on-one shot. Maybe Kyrie Sane gets another one, but Kyrie's already lost to Becky. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it was a weird... I feel like it was a weird decision. Like, the match was was pretty good. Yeah, because the way we've been talking about Becky and the other horsewomen, like, it, it shouldn't take away the fact that the match was good, but I think for me, I'm trying to not let the, the finish and the result kind of ruin the match too much for me, because a lot of the time, like, you say, like, with movies, the ending is crap, despite the fact that, like, the 80 minutes before it were good... If the ending sucks, that's what you'll walk away remembering. So I'm trying yeah. not to let harm out of it because I was convinced that like they were actually going to do a squash because this was on so early in the card. Like, yeah, because like the first two matches we talked about, we didn't have much to say about them because they weren't that exciting. And then I perked up when I saw because I heard rumors this was actually going to main event. But when we get to the actual main event tonight, like you can see why that main event is, and it should have. But, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> wait, it's, it's really interesting because I thought, well, what's going to happen? And like, they're not above doing squash matches at WrestleMania because they've done them before. And I thought that what way to put Shane over? And then if Becky was going to go away, like the rumors were saying, it could basically her reflecting on herself and like thinking, did I get too confident going on that? And she had to come back and start from the ground up again. But the match was actually, even though it wasn't as squash like I thought it was, I really enjoyed it because like. They were really laying into each other, especially on Shayna's end, because she just swung Becky like head first into the announcer's table, which looked really nasty. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, uh, they, he's, I think you're right. When this kind of came out third, I was just thinking, well, Baszler's going to win. How like, and it kind of harkened back to I know Rey Mysterio was injured at last year's Mania, but do you remember that? Remember that match and Ray got a load of offense in, went for the 619 and then the splash, I think it was the splash, missed, got caught in uh, the Kikina clutch by Joe and Joe won. Yeah. Like, I kind of thought, for me, I was like, they could easily do the same thing and really put over the Kira Fuda clutch. I hope I'm saying that right. And, uh, mm-hmm. like, just a Becky Lynch, get all the offense in, but then get caught. And then you kind of got a story here. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. The match was the match was good. There's a lot. Um, uh, Shayna doing the disarm her at one point. Mm-hmm, that, I like that. Cool. that. That was pretty cool. And 
but yeah, and as we said, uh, Lynch gets the win when she reverses the Kirafuda clutch, kind of rolls backwards. If you've ever seen Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, you you know what I'm talking about. If not, go look it up because that's a good match. Uh, what did you think of the Becky's entrance when she came out and the <laughs> oh god, I can't believe I forgot to mention the giant truck. <laughs> what the big, um, the big, big fucking octopus prime looking thing with Becky's face on the yeah. side of it? Yeah, it's a giant. I don't know what the giant American style truck painted with fire all over it. it has the man written on the front of it, and uh, it it seemed weird to do when you don't have a crowd. Like, and I, I'm sure they had this prepared because WWE production wise, they would have had this prepared for a while. Like you, you, you can't just walk down the road and pick up a fucking huge truck, and you like you're gonna have to have bought it a while ago. So probably like, but like maybe save it <laughs> for another time. Or if you're gonna like be part of me, I know they were gonna have something bigger. Maybe it would have been as good. It would have been better in front of a crowd. I doubt it. Probably would have, but. If you're gonna have this as part of her main entrance, don't don't have her come out uh, on Raw when she's not even doing anything on that particular episode of Raw. She remember she came out in that truck. Oh yeah. And all, she, and all she did was basically get involved in Austin's like segment at the end. Like, are you trying to establish she owns a big truck? So we won't be so surprised. Like, Daniel Bryan must be furious. It's <laughs> like, hey, do you know how many fumes you're sending up there? Just driving his fucking truck everywhere, like. Yeah, it seems weird to do. It seemed weirder because she rocked up in a big truck. And it was like last year's Mania when Charlotte turned up in a helicopter just before the match. And the first thing that popped to my head was, are you seriously only just turning up for your fucking match? <laughs> like, like, why are you so late? <laughs> I mean, sure, I don't get why they did the... It's weird because I would have thought they would have had their play down music when she got out of the truck. And then do like the big like Goldberg guess walk through. They did, yeah. No, no, because they had her get out of the truck. All oh, the man's arrived, and then they just hear Shane's music plays, and Shane just comes out. Yeah, if you'd not watched anything before, you would have been like, "That's not the music I expected her to have." And you're like, "Oh, who the fuck's this?" <laughs> like, yeah, that was weird. She just starts walking, presumably into the uh, like into the building, and then Shana just makes her entrance. You're like, they seriously made Shayna wait and just be like, oh, no, one second, Shayna. Becky's just got to rock up in a massive truck. We do have a truck anyway. Like, get something cooler than a giant lorry. Just looks weird. I like the idea of in Keithy, Becky calling up somebody to help, like, paint the truck for her. Like, you see, I want my face on the side and just the letters, the man. Like, <laughs> how do you do that at Keithy? I know I have the person in the like, what an egotistical prick this woman is like. I like the fact that in kayfabe, she has turned up to the arena with about 30 seconds to spare <laughs> in a huge truck with her face on it. Like It's like when they used to do the limo thing of who's getting out of the limo and like Vince McMahon would turn up two hours into Raw. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, why even bother? Just ring. Like I love like the top of the fumes that like like the the limo would show up at the start of the show and by all accounts it looked like the engine would be running every time they cut back to it and like an hour and a half later the person gets out like why didn't you just arrive now why did you have to arrive an hour and a half ago like when you tried to create dramatic emphasis <laughs> yeah what were you doing in that limo for so long <laughs> uh, 
but yeah weird, weird decision but we will see where it goes i can't imagine we're gonna know for a while because of everything that's going on uh but speaking of mr daniel bryan and trying to save the planet it's the intercontinental <laughs> championship match it is the champion Sami Zayn uh coming to the ring of course with cesaro and shinsuke nakamura uh taking on daniel bryan who comes to the ring with drew gulak these are probably this is probably my favorite pairing of one of my favorite things going at the moment on WWE TV is the partnership of Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan. I think it's I think it's amazing. Their match at Elimination Chamber was class, and I think they just work really well together. Are you enjoying them? Yeah, I really enjoyed. It. I mean, part of me really would have liked to see more matches between them, kind of trying to one up each other because, like, I have fond memories of like Angle and Benoit, and they were kind of. Oh, yeah. uh, in the day when basically trying to determine who's the better wrestler. I wanted to see something kind of the modern equivalent of that, but them as a team, I wanted to see where that goes. And because I remember when Gulak lost on the, the kickoff, because I didn't think it really mattered who won either way, but part of me was like, as soon as Gulak lost, I thought I thought that kind of made me more confident that Brian was going to win. And when I looked outside the ring side earlier, and looking at Nakamura when he and Cesaro got kind of sent over the barricade by like, Gulak and that thing. And Nakamura was uh, fighting the w- for the WWE title two years ago at WrestleMania, and now he's in someone's corner. Yeah, that is... It's, it's hard to think about. And, I mean, we've not really had the Shinsuke discussion, just me and you, so we'll do a mini version of it. Because there is a lot of a debate about whether he's misused or whether he's kind of just coasting and making a ton of money before he retires uh mm-hmm. like where where do you where do you sit on that it feels like because it felt like the first year he came in the maiden roster they wanted to make him like push him towards the main event but realized he couldn't do it too soon so they held off for that aj match but obviously once they decided that aj was going to hold the title for ages like he kind of fell to the side and he just became another guy. And I think once he realised he was kind of in that position, like would, I think he's made the he made the realisation that he's not going to get above the IC or US scene. So he's kind of decided to coast along. So I think it's kind of a a little of both. Yeah, I don't. Same as you, I don't entirely want to blame one side or the other. I think obviously his match, quite ironically actually, with Sami Zayn in NXT on his mm-hmm. debut was unreal, and then some of his stuff with Joe as well was pretty good but i think the moment he came up and faced uh the man who will apparently live forever and if nuclear bombs ever go off will just be him and all the cockroaches left off ziggler it was kind of just i kind of just instantly was like oh, okay we're not gonna get because i don't watch a lot of new japan so i didn't really know what everyone was on about but i was like okay we're not gonna get this shinsuke everyone's kind of been clamoring for and once he lost the WWE title match to Jinder at SummerSlam <laughs> it was kind of I think the writing was on the wall and I do think part of that as well is that it, in his own words he just wants to surf <laughs> like that's kind of all he's into uh, I think maybe he's happy with his body of work in New Japan and he's kind of like you know what I'm just going to make as much money as as possible have some decent matches have some fun with doing stuff like this like this this 
Sami Zayn, Cesaro and Shinsuke pairing. My God, you've got a lot of talent right there. Like, yeah, that's definitely. a dangerous, dangerous team. Uh, but I don't think we're not going to get the Shinsuke everyone wants ever again. And I think part of that is him, part of that is the WWE as well. Yeah, I mean, the Dolph Ziggler thing I remember being really weird because because uh, Dolph Ziggler was doing business with the guy that fights all the new people who get called up from NXT. But like, the way he was doing this feud with Shinsuke since he's this new up-and-coming guy, like, I'm pretty sure Shinsuke's older than Dolph, and yet, because yeah. Dolph's been with WWE for longer, he's seen as, he's been treated as a veteran, trying to put this new up-and-cover from NXT in his place, like, again, he's older than you. It's like, what, during the Austin Theory-Tyler Breeze match on NXT, they were calling Tyler Breeze, well, on commentary, they were calling him, like, the old vet, and he's, like, 33 or something, <laughs> And yeah, he's been wrestling for a hell of a long time, but he's not an old vet. <laughs> like, I don't know. His weird WWE world is weird. Uh, but let's let's actually get into the match. Did you say there was some shenanigans on the outside? Cesaro and Shinsuke kind of block off Daniel Bryan at one point, and Drew Gulak take care takes care of them and knocks them over the barricade. And I really did enjoy the bit where Sami Zayn was trying to leave. And Drew was blocking him, and then Daniel Bryan was like, Drew, let him go. <laughs> like, and Sami Zayn walk up the ramp and be like, you finally made a smart decision, and then just blindsiding him. I thought that was a really funny spot. I really enjoyed that. Like, so go on. Uh, I remember I told you before we started recording that I kind of had to watch like some highlights of this back because I, at the time... I was sitting there watching the match, but not even kind of paying attention to it because in my head I'm still feeling like, why the fuck did Becky win? What the hell is she? Where the hell is more she going to do with the belt? Like, why didn't she win? I was kind of annoyed about that, so I had to watch a bit of it back. It's, I see some people's frustration with the way Sammy's wrestling. Like he's not busting out the same moves that he did in NXT. He's wrestling basically like a manager that's been kind of forced into this position despite the fact he's the IC champion. But like he does have some spots. This wasn't as much, but I think it's just a case of it makes sense for his role because that's he was dealing with injuries, so he, he transitioned into a manager, and that's the role he's technically still playing. And he's kind of a cowardly heel, so if anything, it would make less sense for him to be playing this role but still be doing the same moves that he used to do when he was like in NXT. Yeah, I completely agree. I really like the, the great liberator character. I think this is a really good role for Sami Zayn. And they're playing off the fact that if you ever listen to any interviews and people start talking about Sami Zayn, they're like, he's really annoying. <laughs> like, and he's kind of harnessed that annoyance and turned mm-hmm. it into a very smug and very hateable heel. Like if he came out and started doing like all the moves he used to do in NXT and some of the main roster would do like the slingshot moonsault to the outside bust out a ton of blue thunder bombs and doing all that cool stuff how are you gonna hate him mm-hmm. like he's not it's it's not it doesn't work and uh, i like his gear as well where he's mm-hmm. like basically like old kind of like army style gear <laughs> like and everything like that he's gone all scruffy with his hair and his beard and it i think it really works it's kind of like it's very different things, but it's kind of like Daniel Bryan's character from earlier in the year. Or was it last year? When he was the Planet's champion and 
last year, I guess now. And it's kind of like that, where he's just taking everything and just twisting it to be as annoying as possible. So you could be an environmentalist who is saying all the right stuff, but you're a prick for the way you say it. <laughs> and um, I think Sami Zayn's kind of done the same thing, where he's just turned everything. He's just super irritating. Yeah, and the thing with the way Sammy's like his character is now, it's kind of, the reason I like that is because as much as I like like some of Seth Rollins' matches, Seth's role in a minute, whether he's face or heel or if he's like this Messiah character that he is now, he rarely if ever changes his moveset in any way. Like he's still the same wrestler in ring, so I kind of that's kind of why I appreciate Sammy wrestling the way he's wrestling now, as opposed to how he used to. And I remember watching the result, and at the time, uh, I know Jimmy's like a big fan of Sami Zayn. He was so happy that Sami finally won a belt on the main roster. And I remember I had to take some time, but I think the result I've come around to, because I was so certain that Brian was going to win. But I think if you want to, because I thought get, getting the belt on Brian is like the best way if you want this to be the workhorse belt again, Brian proved in his match with Gulak, like, he's the guy he put it on. Uh, but then, like, if you want to get the most you can out of this run with Sammy, if I'm being so annoying, as you said, like, just getting by with the belt until eventually somebody, like, shuts him up and you can give him, like, fans can finally see him get a decent length run with a title that they've been waiting for him to see. And I think this also has to do with Brian recently saying that fairly soon he's going to be pretty much a part-timer because, you know, he's got another kid on the way and he's going to be taking, like, the first three months of each, after his kid's born, he's not going to be around because he's got paternity leave. Yeah. Yeah, um, I actually, I was, we even, me and Jimmy even went for Daniel Bryan in the predictions because I was kind of convinced that Sammy was kind of going to be transitional and it was just going to be kind of one of those things. But I'm kind of happy that we were wrong. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to see where this Sammy Zayn character goes as the great liberator i think it's got legs and uh, i think you could i think you can go higher than the ic title on the run that he's going i think the character is that hateable and which is exactly what it's supposed to be so i'm kind of happy uh, i'd be quite into quite a long Sami Zayn intercontinental title run of just winding everyone up the entire time and just getting as hated as possible and then maybe I don't know maybe we finally see Cesaro turn and do something awesome again. That would be nice. Maybe. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, Sammy Sammy Zayn won uh, after some distraction from Nakamura and Cesaro. Brian went for a dive, got hit with the halluva kick in midair, and uh, retains the title. Yeah, that's what kind of caught me off guard about the result was the way like. It was like wasn't the traditional like halluva kick. He kind of caught him with the boot as he came off the top. So like the way it looked, I think maybe it's been the angle, but I just didn't expect Brian to stay down for the three. And then like oh, and but like yeah, I didn't. I didn't either because as much as the halluva kick looks cool when he's running at someone in the corner, it Mm. is just a big boot. (laughs) So sometimes you're like. Oh, okay. Yeah, he caught him. It looked brutal. It was awesome. And you're like, oh no, that's the Hoover kick. <laughs> like, um, and, and fair enough that they didn't like change it, even though like it seemed like it was being set up for Brian to win because 
we think about it, they've already flipped the the flip the IC's belt quite a bit already this year because he started the year with Shinsuke as champion, then went to Braun and then Isami. So like it wouldn't really do much for the belt to just then immediately put it, take it off Sami again. Hundred percent agree. Uh, yeah, when when you think about that, it was kind of like why'd we go for Daniel Bryan? But mm-hmm. I think it's probably because it was just it was Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. Yeah, because. Uh, so it's the whole story of the unfinished business when the last time he was IC champion. That kind of played a part in it for me when I was protecting Brian O'Brien to win. And up next, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match. It is a triple threat ladder match, but there's only one from each team uh, because The Miz isn't there. Uh, hopefully The Miz is okay. And I guess also it's partly got to do with the amount of people you're allowed to congregate at one time at the moment because of the everything that's going on in the world. So it is Jimmy Uso, uh, Kofi Kingston, and John Morrison, a man who is, I don't even know what he is, because <laughs> my God, some of the shit he did in this match. He's not a, he's not the same species as us. <laughs> like, he's not. When he tightrope walked across the top rope from turnbuckle to turnbuckle and then hit a Spanish fly. What is he? I don't, <laughs> like, I don't. I remember. He, was, he was unreal in this match. I think this was kind of a performance like this was kind of what was missing from his return. Cause I was a big John Morrison fan, uh, back in his first run when he was ECW, uh, yeah, was ECW champion. And then uh, it was like intercontinental stuff. Then he had the short, short-ish kind of main event run. He had the ladder match with Sheamus, and I really enjoyed his work. And I think this was the kind of thing he needed for people to go, "Oh no, John Morrison, he's not just the Miz's partner from ages ago. He's actually awesome <laughs> as well." And uh, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed this ladder match. I thought this was great. But what did you think of it? I mean- I remember like the first two matches that we talked about on the main card. I didn't really like, didn't feel like media matches. The next two were really good. Uh, like they were really good matches. Just the finishes kind of threw me on both of them. But from this match onwards, on night one, it just got went from strength to strength. And this, I was really glad that this match happened to kind of help, like really start getting me in night one of media because it was such a good match. I'm kind of glad that you said that Morrison. Kind of got to do this on his own because he was like he got that single like spotlight on him. But I remember watching it thinking like I'm glad that they chose Kofi to represent the New Day because considering Kofi this time last year was winning the WWE title and then everything that happened to him at the end of 2019 for his title reign, I think it was right that he got the spotlight as well. And I remember because of those two like reasons, I. Uh, I kept forgetting about Jimmy Uso. He kind of faded into the background. He was just the other one. But then I kept thinking of that, and then everything that I remembered, we've got the Usos in the predictions. Hey, come on, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, it was weird that neither of us went for the New Day. I guess they've just had the titles on and off so often. It just didn't seem like, didn't seem, didn't seem right. Weird, uh, Miz and Morrison. Yeah, and, that's why I was convinced New Day were going to win for a second, because, I thought they were, they were just going to, being the way they are, it was just going to fuck with our, all of our predictions and that we have Usos, we have, you have Mavis and Morrison, so the New Day is going to win and fuck it for all of us. Yeah, this was, this was brutal. 
Like, yes. outside of the main event, this was easily my match of the night. I think the main event is perhaps... Shouldn't be in the discussion because it was just something else. But uh, but there was some brutal stuff in here when Jimmy Uso was walking across the barricade, looked like he was going to go for a dive, and then Kofi just flings a ladder at him. Very much <laughs> like Braun used to throw off his chairs at people. And that was brutal. You had John Morrison doing all kinds of crazy shit, like... When he laid Jimmy Uso across the ladder, that was kind of bridged in the corner. So it was like a platform. And I was like, oh, my God, he's going to hit a stomp. And no, he just does about 5,000 rotations <laughs> and then just hits a perfect, like, senton thing. Like, while standing on the LED pole thing that's behind the turnbuckles. And that was nuts. And yeah. this is cool. I like the ending as well of kind of making John Morrison just kind of look a bit lucky like if you've presumably you've seen it if you're listening to this but with Kofi and Jimmy on one side of two ladders that are set up next to each other wrestling over the thing that they tie the titles around it gets unclipped they double headbutt John Morrison who then just grabs the titles falls takes a bump onto a ladder that's like bridged between the rope and the legs of the standing up ladder and the titles are just there, and he just kind of crawls to grab them both and gets declared the winner, whilst the other two are like, what the fuck did we just do? Uh, <laughs> it was great. I thought this match was... Well, the only thing missing kind of was probably a giant arena and a load of crowd. I thought this match was perfect. See, I don't think this match really needs a crowd because like, the spots were just awesome in themselves. Like They were awesome enough that... like. You were, it's good enough just watching them at home, even though it's in an empty arena. I kind of wish this is the match that opened the show because they've got a good track record of like multi-man like ladder matches opening the show uh, WrestleMania. So I kind of wish that opened rather than the, the women's tag belts. But I never said about the about Jimmy Uso kind of feeling like the other guy in this match became even more clear because it, it came it became obvious that Cole and JBL couldn't remember which Uso was representing their team. And just kept referring to him as Uso, not Jimmy or Jay, just Uso. Yeah, they call him like Uso or Uso throughout the match. Like, I remember hearing that and thinking the same thing. Like, <laughs> uh, it's not. I'm sure they they're busier than us and they've got to watch it all. But the whole time, I was just like it, it's Jimmy. Like, I know. It, like, it's Jimmy. As <laughs> if both of them are there at the same time. Like, you've prob- they've probably been told in advance it's Jimmy for his team, Kofi for his team, which makes it even more bizarre. But I think. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think maybe they've gone the safe route of they're like, look, if we say the wrong Uso, we're just mm-hmm. going to get shit from every direction mm-hmm. on Twitter, from the pe- person in my ear. So I'm just not going to say their name. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think maybe yeah. that's just a safer route, but it was kind of obvious when they're just going, and a big right hand from Uso. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, like, uh, I remember the quote from Anchorman. Dog. I'm not even mad. That was amazing. Uh, that was pretty much summed up my thoughts on the finish because even though it didn't go the way, even though it didn't go me and Paul's way, I thought that was a great finish. I can't even be mad at that. Yeah, it was a really inventive finish. I saw a lot of people online saying, that, oh, I loved the ladder match apart from the finish. I thought the finish was pretty good because you kept, it's a ladder match, so no one has to take a fall. No one has mm-hmm. to actually get quote unquote beaten. Yeah. The heel kind of just got lucky. 
mm-hmm. and the other two teams stay strong. Like if you said to me, oh, tonight number one contender match, uh, New Day v Usos, I wouldn't be like, hey, why are they getting another shot? I'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah, because my brother pointed out actually out to me that this spot is not the first time this has happened to Kofi in a ladder match. Because uh, in 2010, there was a triple threat for the IC title. It was uh, Swagger, Kofi, and Dolph. And Dolph was defending the title. And you had Kofi and Swagger fighting over the belt. And then the belt just drops to the floor. And then Psycho like, like, just scrambles in the ring and grabs the belt. And is declared the winner. That's really inventive. I like that. I like it when they do different sorts of finishes for ladder match. Like come up with something new. Uh, like I remember the one that Zack Ryder won. Uh, mm-hmm. Mania, when the Miz was just like sat literally on top of the ladder, like ready to grab his belt and be all smug. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that was a really inventive finish. I like I like things like that. But uh, well, John Morrison Ford... gets to win. Do you think that's the again? I keep asking you the same question. Be it right decision for you? I think so. I think given the fact that obviously it wasn't under the circumstances that they wanted it to be, probably, and that not all of the like, each team could be there. I think which is why I keep the belts on them. I think given that it's basically between Usos and Nudie for them to drop them to. So I think given Miz and Morrison a decent length around before having to drop it back to the Usos or the New Day is the decision. One of Morrison's best spots for me was even one of the ones like where he was like walking the ropes or anything like that. It was the fact that uh, I think it was Jim Uso pushed the ladder over and Morrison kind of well. Oh, uh, covers up as if it's going to happen, but it just man- he just manages his head goes through the, like, the gap bit so he's not hit. So then he just pokes the so in the eye and then just pushes the ladder back and hits him in the face. It was kind of funny because he like covered his head, the ladder went past him, and then you just saw Morrison like smile and begin to like laugh almost before he poked um, Jimmy in the eye. Like that was really funny. Like that was some good, that was some good stuff. But yeah, was this your was this your match of the night? Like outside, um, the main event was something completely different, which we'll get to. But out of the like in-ring matches, what was this your match of the night? Do you think? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I was hoping Becky Shane would be my match of the night, but I think the finish kind of let that down for me, and I was actually happy with how this turned out. So yeah, match of the night. So moving on, keeping it ticking along nicely. Kevin Owens v Seth Rollins, the Monday Night Messiah, came out very Messiah-esque. Uh, it was the only thing people wanted to talk about for about five minutes. Scott, where do you stand? Seth Rollins, white gear? Yes, no. Loved it. Yeah. I, I described on, on Twitter, he's went full Jesus. He, he did. Like, I like the video package before beforehand where they did the thing of Seth Rollins being like, I'm going to go from a messiah to a god. And then they like blacked out or black and white everything around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really good video package, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seth looking looking sexy, <laughs> sexy Seth and KO coming in, rolling in, Mr. KO, and they had a pretty hard fought fought match, like keeping it just to the bit before uh, when it went to no DQ. Uh, what did you think of just the normal match? The the ordinary match itself was really good. I like one thing like whenever WrestleMania uh, comes around with Kevin Owens is on the card is. What he had here, where he always has a different variation of the KO Mania shirt. It's kind of yeah. why I was sad about him not being on last year, because the first three years he'd done KO Mania 1, KO Mania 2, KO Mania 3, 
and then he went from like competing for the title at Fastlane to then not being on Mania, which they factored into this match where Seth brings it up in a promo. But I thought, oh, no, okay, oh, Mania, sure. And I like that. I think they they decided well if one of the OP can't be here, we might as well not bring either of them or Buddy Murphy. So he had Murphy, he had uh, Rollins go in by himself, and I did like uh, the match up until like the original finish, where like kind of Seth was kind of just bragging, and then Owen just eventually started beating the hell out of him. Like I felt like Seth was finally getting like he's come up and it. The story kind of felt like it was building up to like the feel good win. For Owens, which is why when I initially ended in a DQ, I mean I was happy to take the point because you guys had said we had Owens, so I guess <laughs> I'm like it sounds like uh, uh, okay, well we'll take it, but it doesn't feel like much of a WrestleMania moment for for Owens because that's been kind of the story for the past few weeks. Yeah, I thought this was a really really good fake out uh, because they were talking about it. As you say in the video package they were talking about week on week uh seth being like i oh, do you know who you're facing at wrestlemania i am effectively he was calling himself like mr wrestlemania and things like that ko talking about how he wants his wrestlemania moment uh weird how they they never mentioned the jericho match yeah, yeah. it kind of made sense because i thought like, like that's the only match that they won at mania and they didn't yeah. really mention it i think because they've mentioned in like the documentary that 365 they showed how much how disappointed vince was in it coupled with the fact that Jericho's now in AEW and the fact that he said one of the things that helped his decision was the fact that he and Owens went from what should be the main event to this being second on the card. Yeah, I thought they were pro- they were probably right to not mention it because of that reason. And I think it did make sense because they just leaned into the fact that KO wasn't on Mania uh, mm-hmm. last year because really there was a big change of plans with Kofi Mania and everything like that but i thought the action before the dq was was awesome it was a prop it felt like a proper fight mm. and then i was genuinely annoyed when rollins used the ring bell to get disqualified those genuine things like oh, i can't they're not going to do that to us like they can't and to then have it make it a no dq match and ko to bait seth into accepting it and to come back in uh, really, I thought it was awesome. That was a really, really good fake-out. On to the no-DQ match. That Straight away, they just went into it. Uh, one thing I would say, and I don't know what you think, but I wish they would say who makes those decisions. Because you know on NXT, it always comes back. One of the commentators will go, General Manager William Regal has made this match official. I wish we had mm-hmm. something like that on the main roster. Because like, why were they allowed to just turn it into a no-DQ match? Yeah, because the thing is, you remember in like 2018, like after TLC, they had the man saying that, oh, you're the authority now, and then they fired Corbin as Rod GM, and then randomly, even though Page did nothing wrong, Page got let go as SmackDown GM. And like since then, they've not had like a 40 figures on the main roster, other than like when you had Vince get involved in the Kofi story. So like you've not had a main roster, like a 40 figure, and I know. A lot of people feel like they're they're played out and they never want to see them like a, a big authority figure on the main roster again, which I can get. But then again, yeah, you're just letting them wonder like, well, why you get situations like when Roman was originally going to fight Goldberg, people are like, well, what has he done to earn it? Like, but like you think if a match gets set up where he does earn it, you think, well, who's making the matches then? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a catch twenty two of never being satisfied 
there. It's a really, really tiny detail. I just I just always enjoy it on NXT where you hear uh, Mara Ronaldo go, and general manager William Regal has made this match official. I'm like, yes, thanks, Will. This match is going to well, yeah, be awesome. That's <laughs> the thing. In, the, in, in NXT, whenever William Regal comes out, it's always a big thing when Regal does make an appearance, like when he has to yell the words, War Games, or something like that. <laughs> but the issue is, on the main roster, is that they don't have an authority figure like Regal, because the authority figure seemingly has to be involved in a big segment every week, or the authority figure always seemingly on Raw or SmackDown has to be a heel. And that's the difference between Raw and the main roster and NXT, is that they can't just do a, a authority figure that's it says, oh, the GM made this match, and then just leave it at that. They have to have the authority figure always in a prominent position, whereas Regal kind of just takes a step back. Yeah, def- definitely, but that's a discussion for uh, a different podcast. But the no, D- uh, no DQ segment of match, Seth Rollins charges straight away in with a big knee, starts hitting him with a chair, talking about how KO always getting his mouth, uh, sorry, using his mouth, yeah. KO's mouth is always getting him in trouble. Easy for me to say. And, uh, <laughs> uh, which I thought is good because I, I was kind of thinking about it at the time as I was watching the match. I was like, yeah, it kind of is. Like, KO never shuts up and he's always in trouble. <laughs> like the whole Shane McMahon storyline. And then KO ironically uses the ring bell to hit Seth and we get the big dive. And one of my favorite things I've read uh on twitter recently is kevin owens saying how as soon as he found out there was the actually the pirate ship no he was at he went to a concert at the arena mania was meant to be at saw the pirate ship took pictures of it and then started planning how he was going to use it in his match (laughs) so i'm glad as insane as it is and i can't imagine ever doing it myself I'm glad he got to do a big dive still because <laughs> he jumped off. They had a literal giant WrestleMania sign in the PC. He climbed up it and jumped onto Seth and probably murdered him. <laughs> I mean, what I liked about the match before it got made no DQ was it kind of really was everything I wanted it to be in that Seth kind of dominated for a bit, but then it eventually felt like Seth uh, Keel was about to get his moment and he was given Seth his comeuppance. And then just as Rollins felt like he he was like he was probably going to lose, he, he got himself DQ'd. But I also like the fact that because Rollins had used the ring bell, which was funnily enough, he then had to hand the timekeeper back the ring bell so the timekeeper could ring the bell to signal the DQ. But <laughs> because obviously he used the ring bell, Owens was still a bit shaky, so Rollins naturally dominated the majority of the no DQ portion. So I did like him like using like the chairs and then whenever the referee uh, had to try rein him in, like, he kept reminding the ref that there was nothing the ref could do because it's no DQ and he could do whatever he wanted. <laughs> and it was weird because I was on like Twitter and that during the show like live tweeting uh, for uh, Scott and Paul's Rallon podcast, but I remember looking down at my phone or my computer uh, after Owen's kind of used the ring bell and then the next thing I know I'll look up and all I can hear is people going, Owens is on the WrestleMania sign. Like, like, what? How did he get up there? And then he just does this dive through the announce table. And like, the noises that Rollins was making, like, when he was, like, doing this choking noise, it reminded me of when, uh, when Owens and Zayn powerbombed Shane McMahon on this metal, like, great thing. <laughs> and then they started making these weird wheezing noises. It was kind of, yeah, it was very Shane McMahon. It's like, do you notice KO 
he kind of hit a very Shane McMahon-like elbow <laughs> as well. And then you had the wheezing noises. I, I was, when I heard those noises, I was like, oh, God, I bet he is. Because KO is not a small man. <laughs> like, he's very tall and he's very curvy. <laughs> <laughs> like, even when he hit the uh, Centon bomb or the Swanton bomb, I was, I was just like, Jesus Christ, it's got to... Like it's poor Seth, and but yeah, he hits the dive. He actually, he does actually get Seth, rolls Seth back into the ring, starts to pull him up, and Ko. I don't know if it was legitimate or if it was just uh, selling, but Ko is limping all sorts at this point as well. I don't know if he actually hurt his leg or not. I'm presuming he's just awesome at his job. Uh, and Seth starts pleading with Kevin Owens before the stunner. I thought it was a really nice touch as well mm-hmm. for the Seth Rollins character. Uh, Stunner, one, two, three. And um, KO gets his WrestleMania moment. I like the I do like the idea of Seth banging off because I like it when the heel finally realises that all the shit he's done, everything he said has finally come up to him and he's having to beg off like the face and obviously the Stunner kind of finishing it off and Owens gets his kind of WrestleMania win. Uh, we, it's funny because my, my Twitter timeline at the time was, oh well, it's a DQ, not the result, not the way I wanted it to end, but at least we got the point. Oh wait, I might have spoke too soon. Never mind, he's won anyway. That's two one us. <laughs> yeah, you were you were coasting at this point. We we had a disaster on night one, uh, me and Jimmy, because we the only one we got because what we weren't get we weren't giving points if both people got it right. You're only getting the point if the other person got it wrong. So the only thing we got on night one was bloody Cesaro, I think. No, you got uh, Miz and Morrison. Oh, Miz and Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Miz and Morrison. That was the only point we got. So. Yeah, the funny thing was across like uh, the two nights, we had seven differences. Four of them were on. Uh, four of them were on night one, and which I thought I really liked the idea of like doing over two nights and marking them all as one because the result of night one would make night two more interesting. I was convinced in this next match that me and Paul were going to get ours wrong because we went for Braun and I was like, even joking with Jim, like, ah, oh, well, we'll tie it up going into night two. At least that's interesting. And then... <laughs> uh, you, I, don't want to talk about, you don't want to talk about the 24-7 segment? Oh, fuck, I forgot about that. Okay, uh, we'll cover it. Our truth appears, always hilarious. Uh, really, really like Truth. Between Gronk and Mojo, unfortunately, uh, Gronk punches Truth, goes for the pin, Rawley throws him off, Mojo pins Truth. Uh, so the Universal Championship match was next. <laughs> uh, a couple of things I want to say about uh, Mojo and Gronk. First of all, I did like when they were on the Wii like, platform, when went during Brian's entrance and they were doing the yes. And oh, part yeah, of me, good. Part of me kind of wishes, like, to make up for the fact there was no crowd if they just had Mojo and and Gronk on the platform all night, just like making like cheering or booing or like chatting holy shit during like ladder spots and the triple threat. <laughs> yeah, because I like uh, I did like that. Uh, I'm not, not going to make any comparisons. I'm just going to say something. I did like on AEW Dynamite when they had Sammy uh, Guevara was singing Judas as Jericho came to the ring. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, good. like I don't I wouldn't want Gronk and Mojo like what I really wanted for 
uh, Gronkowski and Mojo Rawley was if they're going to be the frat boys, like apparently that's Gronkowski's kind of like he's known for having big parties and everything. Uh, that's kind of his legitimate thing. He, he loves to party. So why not just let him go all out? Let them get pissed up like completely. <laughs> let them get a big old keg. Uh, let them start shotgunning some beers, some Muller lights um, and just let them go all out. Like instead of doing it the fake way, because they're having to pretend that they're that they're all mega, mega hyped to their high energy. No, let them let them get hammered and then make him host WrestleMania. Like yeah. if he wants to be the party boy, if he wants it to be Gronko Mania, let's go. All right. Let's get a swimming pool instead of some seats, <laughs> so he can sit in a hot tub or something. Like that yeah. would have been better because I don't know how he would have done in front of a live crowd. I'm presuming he would have been better because he is in a tough spot. Like he's not a TV host and he's having to host a giant, a giant event like WrestleMania with no so with no crowd around him. <laughs> like so. Let him get hammered. I want to get to the point where they're, they're either cheering or booing, like, depending on whose face or heel. But I want them to get to the point where they're so pissed that basically because they're on a platform, they become like the old guys from the Muppets and they just start heckling everybody, <laughs> like saying Rollins, you're a shit. Yeah, and I want to, I want to hit, I want him to literally get so drunk that he starts pissing off the platform. Or just like throw empty beer cans at people, like, boo. He's like, shut up, Sav, you know I'm the Messiah, you're a very naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt Gronk's watched uh, Monty Python, but still. <laughs> and, uh... also, well, why shit 24-7 title change? Because you remember we put our own WrestleMania's, we had all these weird title changes. And then oh, God, this, yeah. <laughs> they had the weird punch to the stomach, Gronk goes to pin him, Rolly grabs him off the cover, but Gronk... It's a tiny platform, so Gronk's presumably just a few inches away. He could have easily broken up that pin for Joker. He's a tall fucker, that Gronkowski. Oh, yeah, he's huge. Like, he was, he's taller than Mojo is, what, like 6'3", six, 6'4"? Six, Something yeah, like just, that. And Gronk was towering. And he just stretched his leg out. It's just a tiny bit, and he would have broke up that pin. Well, you know what? It makes up for the facts. We all remember back in the day when Gronkowski cost the modern-day Maharaja, the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. So I call this karma. <laughs> he, back, he backed the wrong man then, and he just was the wrong man. Shame for Truth, this segment. I really, really like our truth mm-hmm. uh, I think he's got a lot to offer, more so. But maybe this leads into, because obviously Brock Lesnar is no longer your WWE champion. Uh, but wasn't there a thing ages ago where Brock had been asking to work more with Truth because he mm-hmm. really enjoyed doing that segment with him? So maybe that's where this is going. Because I want to, I want to see them become an unlikely tag team. <laughs> but uh, instead of WWE Championship, we're on to the Universal Championship match. No Roman Reigns uh, because health is more important there than this for definite. So Braun Strowman is. Uh, stepping in to face Goldberg, the current champion. As you, I'm sure you've imagined all those. If you've not, if you're listening to this, you haven't watched it. No, you're wrong. This wasn't a 45-minute technical wizard of a match. This was two minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, obviously, I think everyone can agree this was the right decision. <laughs> but uh, what did you, what did you think of it? 
Well, I remember, like, uh, there's a scene in The Simpsons where uh, Krusty's got all these gambling debts, and uh, the accountant turns and goes, you took all your money in a bet against the Holland Globetrotters? I thought the sites were due! And that was basically <laughs> my attitude going into this match, like, wait, you bet against Goldberg? I thought Braun was due! Because <laughs> he has had that many opportunities uh, but the fact he has been made like the IC title champion recently, as we talked about earlier, and the fact he was put in and not like somebody like Corbin or that, it's just like this doesn't seem like a replacement just to get squashed by Goldberg. And uh, even though we had in predictions, the outcome surprised me more than anybody, I think, because they did keep doing the spears, Braun kept kicking out, and then Braun hit a slam. And then after he went, when he went from the second one, I kept get beginning things like, oh, Goldberg's going to slip out of it, he's going to hit another spear. But O'Bron kept hitting them. So after, like, this, from the second, third, and fourth slam, every time he hit one, I was like, cover him, cover him now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, this was exactly what it needed to be. It was just a big, big little fight, big explosive moves. Why yeah. we went for Goldberg... Initially, it's because it's Braun, and we were kind of of the opinion that we were like, they're not going to put a title on Braun, like because it seems so unlikely now at the time. And then on SmackDown, where they just announced it in such like a casual way, where it's like, oh okay, Braun's replacing Roman, let's move yeah. on. And then I was kind of like, okay, we're definitely right, like they're going to save Goldberg Roman for SummerSlam. Uh, but when Braun won, I was just really happy. Like, I was like, thank God we were wrong. Like it's Because we were saying it earlier about Shane and no character is beyond saving. One win, and I think Braun is pretty much back to where he yeah. was probably a couple years ago. Watching him beat Goldberg, and I know people are like, oh, Goldberg, he can fuck off, he's this, he's rubbish, blah, blah, blah. It's still Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg, you can probably count the amount of matches Bill Goldberg has lost on your fingers, like in his entire career. And uh, so it's a huge thing to just beat Goldberg. And I think Braun Strowman is saved as long as he has a decent reign. Mm -hmm. Like they've saved him for me. It's kind of sucks the circumstances that needed to happen for that to happen, but because he probably wasn't even going to be on the card. I mean, I, like, I, assumed, I assumed he was going to like have some sort of rematch with Sammy, where in the weeks leading up to it, he takes out like Cesaro and Nakamura, so it's just those two, and then they do like as like a kind of like a match similar to this, where it's basically a squash, where Braun would be to squash Sammy to get the belt back. Because for me, it felt like. Every time Mania comes around, they seem to forget about Braun, even though the rest of the year they book him very strongly. So it feels like they like him, but they were just hesitant to make him the champion because many times he's like lost to like a, a Lesnar or something like that. And I then, think there was something that Big Show said. Sorry to interrupt. There's something that Big Show said on After the Bell, where he said, "I." It was something along the lines of, "I know, I knew my role. I was the monster designed <laughs> to get slain." Yeah. Like, and I think Braun had fallen into that trap as well. So when Mania came around, you were like, "Well, we've used Braun to build up who we need." Like, remember when Roman Reigns won the Elimination Chamber? 
to face mm. Brock and Braun eliminated four people very much in Shayna Baszler fashion at this year's Elimination Chamber so that he could go and get pinned by Roman. Yeah. And I think he'd fallen into that trap and hopefully, fingers crossed, and I am confident he's going to get a decent reign, this is kind of like an accidental saving of Braun Strowman. Mm. Yeah, because to me, when I seen Braun get put in, I thought, he's recently come off the IC tape, when I thought they still have enough faith in him. So I was confident in that sense that they would put the belt on him, even though they did the whole thing where they just announced it very offhandedly, like the day before the show on SmackDown and because to me it was saying like well if he goes in this and he gets squashed it shows that they don't want him, they, they like him as a big guy but they don't want him as the main champion but I thought it's you know they, they might still have enough faith in him to put the belt on him because he and Roman have really good matches together and I think uh, Goldberg was always designed just to win the belt and then take it to Mania to then lose to Roman and when they realised Roman wasn't going to be able to Oh, we still need to get the belt off Goldberg because I don't know when he's going to be able to come back again. We don't want him just to beat another one of our full-time guys. So having like Roman, if he does win, if he wins it off Braun, I think that'll probably be better than if he did beat it off, win it off uh, Goldberg. And like with the news recently that came out the day that allegedly Goldberg and that there was a the whole thing with his finish changing where Goldberg wasn't meant to beat the Fiend initially. Yeah. I did, I did see that. Uh, hopefully, my initial reaction is hopefully that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I I I don't want to imagine Goldberg kind of doing that. Like cause it just seems so shitty. I can imagine that Goldberg is just kind of in a position where they're like, "Hey, you still want to wrestle?" He's like, "Yeah, look, we'll pay you this much, but we need you to lose to the Fiend." And it's been like, well, I'm getting paid. I'm 50, mid-50s now. I'm still getting paid a shit ton of money, presumably. Uh, hopefully that's not true. Uh, but if it is, it's kind of a shitty thing to do. But we accidentally, again, we accidentally got something bloody perfect on night two. <laughs> like, <laughs> with the fiend still. Uh, yeah. But I'm happy to brawn one. That's my yeah, opinion. me too. Is I'm happy they won. Hopefully, once things kind of become normal again and they really get fans in like arenas, uh, Ron like doesn't immediately lose it back too quickly. He has like a decent reign before losing it to Rome because I think that's definitely the direction it's going. But I think I did like this match for what it was because I don't think it should have gone that long because Goldberg doesn't really do long matches, but. I had that feel of basically two people playing like one of the WWE games and they've each given it feel of like infinite finishers. And it was that. It was kind of like, it was basically what Brock Goldberg was three years ago, three main years ago, I want to say. About that. Yeah, I think I'm right on that, where they would just smash into each other for like five minutes. And go, look, Goldberg gets a lot of crap. He's really, really good at these matches though. Like yeah. he is, he is good at it because he's so explosive and impactful, and you believe his hits. Like I wouldn't want to get speared by Goldberg. No. <laughs> like, sure. like, um, so good, good stuff. And a new, new Universal Champion, Braun Strowman. Um, 
Scott, are you ready to discuss this? Like, do, do you need to maybe pour a drink or something before we dive into the main event? No, I think I'm good now. Just one thing I do want to say before we get in is I remember like thinking like this was gonna be would be on like in the midpoint of the show because I knew it wasn't gonna be taking place in the performance center. So I thought it would be kind of like a palate cleanse or something like that between two kind of lesser matches. They'd put they'd throw to the boneyard. Uh, but then they found it. Then when Braun and that came, I thought, well, oh, this isn't main event because at first I thought Shane and that would main event. I thought, okay, that's not it. So probably the Universal Title. Then the Universal Title came. And I'm like, oh, their main event was Taker to AJ, which I thought was kind of cool because now AJ Styles can say that he's main evented WrestleMania technically. Yeah, and he must have. I presume he's main evented Wrestle Kingdom at some point. He must have done. I don't think he main evented. He's been in the semi main event, which. But the semi main event and the main event of Wrestle Kingdom were always the two most important matches, so he's pretty much came close. I know he's main evented like Bound for Glory a bunch of times. Yeah, so that's a that's a hell of an accolade. I can't imagine many people can say they've main evented Bound for Glory when it was kind of in its glory day. And that's no disrespect to what Impact is now, but it was obviously bigger. Wrestle Kingdom probably counts and a res- and a WrestleMania main event. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the guy's achieved a lot in his career, but that's got to be something pretty cool to look back on. So, boneyard match. No one knew what it was going to be. No one would have guessed what it was. <laughs> like, and if anyone says they knew what this was going to be, they are fucking lying. <laughs> uh, it wasn't at the PC. It was in a graveyard. Um, the, I'm not sure how to break this down, but it's shot very cinematically. It is AJ turning up. His music's playing over the top of the film. And he just rocks up. Well, he's say he's in a hearse. He's in the coffin inside a hearse. But two druids pull out the back. And then AJ just appears <laughs> out of it. But it's not the dead man who turns up. It is the American badass Undertaker. Rocks up on a big Harley Davidson-like bike. Uh, what did you think when you realised it was American Badass? I think uh, we knew it was going to be American Badass kind of going into it, like, especially after that promo taker cut, like he used the line, I'll make you famous. I was just kind of sad he didn't come into like one of his man- American Badass like theme songs, like one of the three songs he used when he was in that guy. He came- instead he came into some weird Metallica song. Yeah. But what I loved about AJ's get up is he was dressed, they are kind of dressed in street clothes, more or less, for this kind of match. <laughs> Despite the fact that AJ comes out in denim, one of his own shirts, but still has his gloves on. Still has his gloves on. I noticed that as well. <laughs> when I was watching, I was like, oh, it's, I'm so happy he's still with his gloves on. Like Now, the whole promo is basically a bit about AJ. Um, the whole promo, sorry. The whole build-up is about AJ very much disrespecting The Undertaker, calling him broken down, using his uh, real name of Mark Calloway in promos telling him that he would have quit if it wasn't for Michelle McCool making him come back for whatever reason. And that kind of brings back the American badass Undertaker. Uh, they have a cool square off in the middle of this graveyard. Taker starts beating the shit out of him. Uh, there's a, I don't know, I'm presuming it was meant to happen, but there was the bit with like when the Taker was smashing all the windows on the hearse and they had cuts his arm. Mm, um, and AJ takes a little bit of a cut as well 
or one, one of his upper arm. He smashes the windscreen using AJ. He's saying to AJ, he's like, hey, you asked for this, Alan. <laughs> like, so they're kind of, all rules are out the window at this point. Uh, what did you, I guess, let me you, what did you think a Boneyard match was going to be? And what did you then think of what they did? You see, I think when I got closer, everybody was describing it as basically it was going to be some sort of buried alive style match in a, a graveyard. But I remember the, the term Boneyard just made me think they were going to find some sort of scrapyard or junkyard, which uh, wouldn't, I wouldn't have put past them. But you say they were fighting in a graveyard. Like I think that's being a bit generous. It looked like, because there's that weird house thing, it looked like they were on someone's farm that they happened to have dug a hole <laughs> in the backyard of for somebody to get run into yeah i'm not yeah potentially it was definitely a setup set the only thing i'm happy they didn't do i wasn't sure what they were gonna gonna do and i didn't look at any of the rumors or anything like that because obviously this was filmed beforehand i stayed away from things like that so that i didn't get anything spoiled which luckily they managed to not yeah. have any major leaks which i was quite surprised with. Part of me thought they were going to set it up like the old style Buried Alive match where they just have the big pile of dirt at the top of the ramp. Um, I'm glad they didn't do that because A, the PC probably isn't big enough. And B, we've seen that before. Uh, but this this was just awesome. Like, I thought, really thought this was spectacular. It's a bit where Taker looked like he was about to win fairly convincingly. And then you just hear uh, either Luke Gallows or Carl Anderson, I can't remember who at this point, just shout, hey, dead man. And they're just in full gear. Gallows even has his face paint on. Yeah. And then he's about to pick up, like, Taker's about to pick a fight with both of them. And then the lights come on in that weird shed thing you run about. The front of it falls off and out walks, like, six just druids. <laughs> what, what? Oh God, this is great. I mean, before we get to like, I thought about the, the druids. I remember like watching this. Like, I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I'm glad that it was American Badass Taker, and allegedly, like, whereas if we, if and when we see Taker again, he will be this version of the character because I think the Dead Man version kind of lost its allure a long time ago. Especially after all these like Saudi Arabia matches, but I think it became uh, it kind of because we've entered into the quote-unquote reality era. Mm-hmm. It kind of you stopped being a like the character of the Undertaker just became, I guess, outdated. Would be the yeah. right way of going about it. Like you can still get away with the stupid shit in wrestling. Like, I mean, we've got. Even in this match, at one point, he lifts his arms up and a load of fucking fire goes off. Like, you can still do that stuff and get away with it. But I think being the undead zombie, especially when you're beginning to... No no disrespect to The Undertaker, when you're beginning to show your age. Yeah. Like, it takes away from what the character is supposed to be. Um, What I did like about this was... And it's the same for the, the Funhouse match we'll talk about in night two, is that because these repeated, they cut to them, but they didn't have the commentators talking over them, they just let the scenes play out. Like, you had Taker basically narrating everything he was doing to AJ, like, when he cuts himself, he's like, you made me play, boy. And he was basically chasing them down, and 
Taker's get up and the way this fight was kind of, I don't want to say quite the way it was shot and the constant cuts, it made me think like like an old like action film where you've got to get a older like character, like you've seen the stereotypical like action movie plot where a guy used to be a killer, he retired, he had a family, then someone threatens his family so he has to come out and kill a bunch of people. That's basically what this felt like. This felt like the finale of some fucking Liam Neeson movie. Like, I was about to say, it feels like Taken, doesn't it? Yeah, basically. Which now I want to see the Undertaker because I cut a promo, which is basically Liam Neeson's like phone monologue from the first <laughs> one. But instead, they changed the final so line. Changed the final line to, "I will find you, and I will make you famous." <laughs> Oh my god, can we please get that? <laughs> the whole time just like, AJ, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. <laughs> if you want money, I have shitloads. Because I've been doing this I for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I have a weird demon brother. Uh, oh. oh, how disappointed were you? Yeah, since it's you, when the fire went off and there wasn't Kane. Like, like, you talked about the unholy trinity... Like, people thought he was bringing somebody when they, like, even the odds against, like, Galadon. And then all these dudes come at you think, okay, somebody, like, you thought Kane, and you can't, you can't I couldn't really think who else, because, you know, Paul Bearer's dead, and even if he wasn't, he probably wouldn't be much help in a fight. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine, uh, what's this, Percy Pringle being much help. So then, like, you thought at least Kane will come out when, like, he's surrounded by all these dudes, but no, the Taker just beats up all the dudes and Galadon Anderson by himself. The bet, the best thing about that is i was disappointed at first i was like oh if kane when the fire went off and then uh take just one uh after the match i was like oh how cool would it be if kane was just standing there in the fire but now i'm just thinking they can do this again and they've still got that in their back pocket <laughs> because also i thought well kane probably couldn't get there because mm-hmm. of the way the world is right now and also he's a mayor so it kind of be a bit shitty to be like, hey, uh, Knoxville, I know we're in the middle of a crisis, but I've just got to go and help my undead brother in a fight against a man called Alan. We all got out so much how the dead man stuff is like done, or it's kind of not given the current era we're in. Despite the fact that he still had elements of the, the dead man, even though he was like done off as the American bad, he rode in on the war bit because he did like the whole reason his arms in the fire coming is very much a dead man like thing. And then at one point he got thrown in the grave and when AJ went to bed him he just a big spotlight appears behind him and Tiger basically teleported behind him. Yeah, there was yeah, there was I think you still you definitely still can't get away with it because when you're actually watching wrestling, I think the suspension of disbelief is definitely still there. Uh I just think because of the way social media is used, you can't just be like I don't think Bray Wyatt could just be the fiend all the time because I don't think people would buy it these days um so he's got that other persona that is like the real persona not real but the other one to kind of do the talking um like I don't know how Kane gets away with it because Kane seems to be the exception because whenever he appears he just is Kane I think because for a big part of his, his run, he didn't have the mask, so he just looked like a regular kind of guy. And also, they talked about the, like, the emotional scars and all that, so he basically seemed like a regular person, made just, well, 
that was really fucked up in the head and yeah. had obsession with fire. So I think they kind of humanised Kane enough and then did the whole thing with corporate Kane enough oh, to yeah. kind of separate because they did the whole thing where Demon Kane and then regular like suit wearing Kane. So they kind of did what they've been doing for Brent for Bray Wyatt with Kane for a while. Just a quick like Undertaker ends up winning uh, the the match. Presumably there was no referee. Like I guess Undertaker committed a murder, like and just buried a man alive. Um, so a quick question for you: How did if AJ and Taker had just had a match and Taker had won, how do you think that would have gone down compared to Taker? beating AJ Styles in this kind of match. You see, originally I thought it was AJ win because I didn't think it really mattered whether or not Taker won or not at Mania because of the streak not being a factor. So, but then again, I think the storyline-wise, uh, it made sense that it would even though I, I assume I still went with AJ because I assumed that Gals and Anderson would play a factor and help AJ steal the win. So, but then, I think the rumour was that Taker saw AJ's kind of a modern day Shawn Michaels, and a lot of people still talk about Taker's matches at yeah. May 25 and 26 with Shawn. So I think even if Taker won, they would have been able to work around a match and put a match together that would have like helped revitalize Taker. And because AJ can have a good match with anybody, so I think AJ would have been a good enough person to work with to make people kind of buy into the t- to Taker again. And I don't think they would have been annoyed. They would have been able to get him to win in a believable way. But I think, I remember when they announced this match was happening, this stipulation, I was kind of annoyed because I thought, this could be Taker's last great match. And they're just, like, throwing in this weird stipulation. But then again, like, this wasn't a regular WrestleMania, so they're kind of thinking outside the box. And then I remember while I was watching it, part of the reason that I was enjoying it so much was because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I even would like it. So the fact that I've seen all this stuff happen, the way he was being shot, I mean, I think some people said that Jeremy Borash, who helped put together some of the like final deletion broken mat stuff, had a hand in this, and it kind of showed at points. So I remember watching it thinking, like, I'm enjoying this a lot more than I thought I would, and then you had Taker sort of chokeslamming AJ off of the off the roof of this barn before eventually burying him alive, and got AJ's glove just hanging, sticking out the ground. <laughs> That was that was great, and I think you're right. I think Taker winning in this capacity, I really enjoy. I think perhaps this is the way to use Taker moving forward. Like I wouldn't mind seeing Taker have some usual matches in this capacity. I think he probably needs the bells and whistles of stipulations around it. But mm-hmm. I thought he was perfectly. I thought he was really really good in the tag match last year. Um, mm-hmm. With Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler against Taker and Roman. Yeah. Yeah, it was Roman Reigns. I thought it was really, really good in this match. So he's still got a lot in there, and obviously it is The Undertaker. Um, uh, but I thought this was perfect. I thought it was amazing. It was such a great way to end. The final shot of Mania Night One being Undertaker riding off into the night on a big Harley Davidson style motorcycle. Uh, whilst, what song was it that was playing? Was it Iron Maiden? I think it was Metallica. Metallica. Whilst Metallica was playing. <laughs> what, what else do you say? It was. I thought it was perfect and I loved every single second of it. 
What I loved also was he doesn't just immediately drive away after he's very age. Uh, he stands there, kind of raises his hand a little bit, and this weird takerist symbol appears on yeah, the, the farm. to the shed thing. Yeah, he did the Brothers of Destruction arm race. And I hope we get some more of this taker stuff. Like, even if it's just once or twice a year for the next mate, for however long he wants to do it. Like, you just talk, it, this was perfect. You talk about he was physically, like, buried, like, in the hole. But, like, you can't really say that he was buried in, like, the wrestling sense because when you think about it, he's not really a young up-and-coming guy. I mean, it was really only just over a decade between him and Taker because AJ's in his 40s now. Yeah, he's and, 42 or 43. Yeah, and he's recently signed, like they said, his current contract that he signed, like, a year or so ago as his last contract. So he's only got a few years himself. So I think this is the thing where AJ really doesn't mind who he's losing to as long as... I think the fact that he's, like you said, he's getting to main event WrestleMania against The Undertaker when for a while it felt like he was never going to get to WWE in the first place. So I don't think AJ's really in a position where he cares about losing to Taker because I think he's happy with how everything was put together and how the fact that, again, he gets to fight Taker at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, he gets to fight The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And it's the same thing for me with the Goldberg thing when people are... And, Jimmy, when I say people, I'm just talking about fans here on Twitter, which is a minority, just tend to, like, be very negative about people facing older talent. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about it's Goldberg or it's The Undertaker, that's a huge, huge deal. Like, I've heard JR say on his podcast uh, before, he's like, if you're facing The Undertaker at WrestleMania, you are main eventing WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I remember him talking about that when he was talking in the... They were talking about CM Punk. Yeah. In one episode, and he was saying about how CM Punk said that about his Undertaker match, and JL was like, no, if you're facing The Undertaker at WrestleMania, you have main evented WrestleMania. And I think that's kind of like, for AJ to get to do that is huge. He gets to do it with Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. They were technically part of a main event of WrestleMania as well. Mm-hmm. As well. Yeah. And it was such an inventive and really perfectly executed way of introducing a new version of the undertaker and highlighting it because aj styles beat the crap out of the undertaker like he hit him with a tombstone at one point like not a pile driver a literal tombstone <laughs> like and, uh, everything like that and uh i love this i thought it was perfect like it's not going to be for everyone in the style that is done but I'm guessing you you have the same. You thought this was great as well. Oh yeah, definitely. And like I said, go about the Taker thing. Like I agree, I agree with that, and that you are main event wrestling if you're fighting the Undertaker because that was part of the reason why I think a lot of people were annoyed about the streak ending because after you've seen Taker be beaten at Mania, the fact they kept coming back to wrestle at WrestleMania it didn't make his matches as interesting because like the order had kind of gone. Whereas before, I'd been the appeal of well, he's already up, he's nearly 20, I know, like, is he ever actually going to lose? Because this person could believably beat him, but now this is the most interested I've been in a Taker match probably since this week ended. Oh, definitely. Like, uh, I wasn't watching when the streak ended, so I only kind of returned in about 2016. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see, like, some of the Mania matches that weren't so well received. Uh, but 
I do remember watching the Roman Reigns one and just thinking, oh no. Like, uh, you, cl- you clung on a little bit too long, Taker, but uh, this is this is great. This is classy. Uh, presumably, we're not going to see AJ Styles for a while either, which is never a bad thing to be off yeah. TV for a bit. As Jim Cornette says, how can I miss you if you won't go away? And so maybe we'll get a different sort of AJ Styles as well. Yeah, but I remember watching this because I remember going into this. I said to Paul on uh, when we had a preview of the show because when we were doing our mania like preview, I could I remember wasn't bad. I thinking like, God, we did not sound excited one bit for the show because of everything that had happened uh, leading up to it. And I remember saying to him on that pod uh, that I was worried that people are, would look back on Mania 36 because of the fact that it was in front of an empty arena when they probably should have postponed it. And I think I thought people were probably going to look at it as probably, in hindsight, as one of the worst Manias ever, purely because of the circumstances around it and the empty arena. And I think un- that would kind of be unfair because really, when you look at it, they're doing the best they can like under the circumstances. But I think I remember watching Night 1 and when Seeker was riding off, I was thinking like, I was kind of, I was really happy with like the last few matches of night one, and it got me really excited for night two, and it also gave me really good, it gave me a lot of faith for if they can do this for this match, what insanity are we in for night two when we get to the Funhouse match? <laughs> I think, yeah, you, you are right. I'm not sure if they could have pulled it off any better than they did. Like, and I know we've said some of the matches, like the opener, the opening tag match, and maybe Elias and King Corbin and a couple of the others could have been better matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, f- I think they blew it out of the water. I think in a circumstance where no one was it really that excited because of what's going on in the world and there wasn't going to be a crowd, and there were so many people saying, just postpone it, uh, which my, uh, my answer to that is, till when? Like cause they can't guarantee they could make a brand new date, but it doesn't. It, it's not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed at the moment. Like yeah. they might end if they have to cancel it again. Like yeah, a lot of people missing out on a lot of paychecks. Uh, money in the bank for May 10 without a guarantee that anything will be like normal by then. Yeah, you can't. You can't book a giant event like WrestleMania and go, hey, we're gonna do it here. Instead, when like they we we're both in the UK, we could we would not be able to fly to America right now. Mm-hmm. We couldn't fly anywhere, like right mm-hmm. now. And so it's kind of unfair to say that. But we don't need to talk about what's going on in the world. This the show. I thought the show. I really enjoyed it. Like some of the matches, perhaps weren't as good as they could have been. Mm-hmm. But my God, were the matches that needed to deliver? Didn't they deliver? The ladder match was uh, for outstanding i think goldberg braun for what it was was pretty bang on as well ko seth thoroughly enjoyed i thought the fake out was brilliant uh the main event was just stunning <laughs> and i if they announced there was another taker match coming up i would be absolutely hyped for it like no matter who it was against i'd be like yes just do that again <laughs> So, night one, I'd call it a success. I would too, because I think 
uh, people's expectations were so low going into it, they needed to kind of deliver something great like that we weren't expecting. I think for the most part, in terms of like the Universal title match, the, the main event, and like the Becky match, like the result of the Becky match aside, majority of this card kind of delivered, it accomplished what it needed to, to kind of restore people's faith in that this could work for WrestleMania. And like I said, I think it gave people enough faith heading into night two. Because on paper, night two had a lot of big matches that could outshine night one. So you looked at what was on night one and how well they delivered it, and you realised what was to come. I think it gave you enough faith in night two that it should be considered a success. Yeah, 100%. I think as much as anything, they delivered a damn good show uh, and gave us all... Gave us all a bit of entertainment, which a lot of people are kind of clamouring for at the minute, uh, given what's going on. But hopefully, hopefully we've delivered on night one <laughs> and we've built up enough excitement that you'll come back for night two, uh, which will be going up a day after this drops. Uh, we will have our uh, hopefully have our night two review up as well. Scott, we've already revealed that you lost a prediction, so let everyone know what your punishment is and what else you've got going on. Where can people find you and listen to you on other shows as well? Uh, yes, we lost myself, myself and Paul, and as such, our punishment will be to review WCW Starcade 2000. Again, that was a prediction, a punishment I suggested, which I know how to do so. I'm going to keep my mouth shut in future when it comes to the punishments because it never seems to work out for me. Because I think this is the third time this has happened that I've suggested a punishment and then had to do it. Like it was that thing when when we first started uh, doing rogue opinions and the punishments, I would lose. I'm pretty sure I lost all of like I'm not sure how many, but I lost pretty much every single one. But since tagging up with Jimmy, um. Like my, I think Jimmy is the great liberator <laughs> of rogue opinions. <laughs> the Daniel Bryan to my Drew Gulak um, as well. But yeah, I, I look forward to listening to that because I remember yeah. that show being dog shit. Yeah, I've, I've, I've not seen anything of, of the show. My thinking was people remember 97 arcade for the whole Sting Hogan. They remember 98 for the Goldberg streak ending. They remember 99 because uh, Goldberg kicked Brett in the head in that show. But I was thinking 2000, the company's pretty much dead at this point. They've got like three months before it's announced that WWE has purchased them and they're, they're trying to put on their version of WrestleMania and yet no one ever actually talks about it. So I, I wanted think to see you've got, I think you've got one of the Hogan Ric Flairs if I remember in the show right. And it might be a first blood match or something. I'm pretty sure sure it's Sid v. Jeff Jarrett. I'm pretty sure from what I've seen, it's Sid Scott Steiner in the main event. Oh, God. (laughs) It might might not be the show I'm thinking of then. Uh, Um, I'm just going to look it up quickly. But otherwise, uh, where can people listen to that? See, uh, we don't know when exactly we're going to release it. I'm going to talk about it with Paul. We'll probably make an announcement about it. On our next episode, which should be up maybe by the time you're listening, we're hoping for the weekend. Uh, it'll be what we're calling our apocalyptic WrestleMania roundup or something along those lines. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, this wasn't the show I was thinking of. I'm just looking at the card now. My 
good god <laughs> i don't know what show i was thinking of i was thinking of whatever one had hogan v flair in a cage it was not this <laughs> <laughs> i think it was uncensored one year they did that maybe in 1999 general rection versus <laughs> shane douglas not you think oh that's just going to be a random throwaway match no that's for the u.s title oh good lord <laughs> General Rection is the champion. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, good luck, good luck, my friend. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, it probably don't be won't be as bad as the last match we did because at least unlike that one, the, a lot of the guys on this show are probably in the peak of their career, whereas everybody in the last punishment we did was well past it. You do have Lance Storm uh, against Ernest Miller. That'll probably be a good match. Yeah, but any like updates on that, uh, you can find on our social media at, uh, at sprambling on Twitter or facebook.com forward slash Wellman Podcast. We've kind of, we've been having some issues like how we're going to record because also I can't go around to Paul's house which I usually would to record. So we've kind of had to rethink some of the stuff we had planned. So hopefully in next week we'll get it sorted. And if, if we're not able to, we may have to wait till whenever this whole lockdown ends to record it, so you might be waiting a while for it, but, you know, it will be getting done. Good, good stuff. Uh, yeah, and you can find Rogue Opinions, as always, at Rogue underscore Opinion. Check back through the archives. We've got a lot uh, going on. The Naked Men podcast will be back soon. Uh, that got recorded literally earlier today at time of recording, so that'll be up just after this goes up you've got there's no real sport going on at the minute but the bantam munich podcast continues with lots of fun conversations uh thanks to reese uh carl and liam who has just joined the team uh on a permanent basis uh for doing that rahul launched a new series of sporting top fives where i was on that uh talking about our favorite uh football tournament uh, tournaments and competitions and the year is continues you've got the episode with carl up the uh episode with michael truly who joined me for an episode is up as well and scott's is uh gonna go up as well just after this goes up a couple of days after so that's to come uh, but otherwise rogue opinions two and oh against scott and paul's rambling podcast uh will, will we see you at SummerSlam? You, you want you want more I was going to say, you know, if there is, even as a SummerSlam, we'll, we'll talk about it. But, you know, <laughs> Jimmy was talking to the big shit in the group about this little streak you've got going. But as I reminded him, all streaks come to an end. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening, guys. And me and Scott will be back uh, for night two ASAP. Uh, so we will speak to you then. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>